Hello, friend, Margo here. So last month I shared some super exciting updates about Tanto Studio and where we're headed in 2023. Here's the Cliff Notes version. I am so excited to share the first ever Windowsill Chats Patreon membership designed with you in mind. I strive to support artists and creatives to grow and develop your own creative path. I love finding ways to get you further than you knew you could get yourself. It's really my passion. There were moments in my life where other people came alongside me and gave me the nudge I needed to move forward in my own art. And I hope this podcast and the other offerings from Tanto Studio do that very same thing for you. The Windowsill Chats podcast is all about providing a welcoming place for artists, designers, and makers to come together, laugh, learn, build friendships, and create together. Starting March 1st, the Windowsill Chats Patreon membership takes this vision to a whole new level. Sign up for my email list for access to special launch day discounts leading up to the new Windowsill Chats Patreon membership coming March 2023. So pause this episode right now, go to tantostudio.com to join the email list. Don't worry, I'll wait right here. That's tantostudio.com to sign up for the email list. Okay, great. Now that you're on the list, you'll be the very first to get details about the Patreon membership when they come available. In the meantime, let's dive into another episode of the Windowsill Chats podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Hey, it's Margot Tantow here. Welcome to Windowsill Chats, a podcast for creatives and the creatively curious. I am so glad you're here. I've spent decades working with artists and being one myself. I've spent time in the trenches, figuring out the best way to get something made, how to put oneself out there, how to get your work noticed, and pull yourself up and face the next challenge. Windowsill Chats brings you creativity from a global perspective, as I talk in depth to friends I've met along the way. I'm here to bring their stories to you, as well as a few of my own, and see if there's anything you can pull out for yourself. Maybe a laugh, something you can relate to, and definitely a little bit more community for your quiet corner. So grab a cup of tea or coffee or a glass of wine and join me over in my sunny windowsill. Yes, I need your trouble. Welcome back to Windowsill Chats. I am so glad to have you here. If you are joining us for the first time, welcome. And if you have been here before, I'm so glad you found your way back. Today, I am talking to a very talented illustrator, someone whose work I really admire. And I'm really glad that she reached out and was able to hop on here today with me. Linda Black is just a wonderful, wonderful, colorful confident illustrator. She started her illustration career in 1987 when she moved to New York City after graduating with a degree in graphic design from school in Illinois. She calls herself a tree farm girl, farm girl, but she embraced the city life for sure. And we talk a bit about the small worldness of the fact that we lived in the same place at the same time. Living in New York City for Linda was wow. Now she's back to the countryside, and she's from a very big family of creatives, which really helped to guide her path. I love kind of finding out more about that, and there's a great story about her mom 
being an illustrator as well, and later in life. For the first 15 years, Linda was an editorial illustrator, and then she shifted into more corporate collateral work. She had multiple illustration styles at first, but found having a black and white style and color gave her more opportunity. Eventually, she pursued color illustrations solely. Sometimes she'd try out something different, but it seemed to stall out, and she had to push into a new direction to stay in the game. You can tell from our conversation, we really get into the fact that Linda is a reinventor and that has kept her fresh. As the market shifted and she had young children, she circled back to children's illustration after being told her work was too sophisticated early on in her career. We talk a lot about the fact that she had a life-altering health issue that once again forced her to change the way she was working and illustrating. To work through her chronic pain, she started doing things like embroidery, simpler things, simpler compositions. And what that brought to her was just a new way to look at her creative style. The last three years, she's been working for Eboo, which some of you might know. It's a company that just does wonderful puzzles and really focuses on the artist. Linda has several products on the Eboo website and check out the show notes for how to see those wonderful things. Linda's always pushing herself to learn new things. And here's a favorite quote. There are no shortcuts in learning design. It's a slow, hard climb and you never reach the top. The more you learn, though, the more you find there is to learn. Virginia Lee Burton. Here's Linda. Oh, thank you for being here with me today, Linda. I'm really looking forward to learning more about you and sharing it with everyone. Well, thank you for having me. It's really fun. Yeah, absolutely. I know. I can't wait. For those of you listening, I send out kind of a, as people come on the podcast, I, I send out a, tell me a little bit about you and, and what you're working on. And it, and it, I get so interested in, in what people are doing and what your path has been. So I would love to know you chose a graphic design degree. Back when I thought I was choosing a graphic design degree about the same time, why why did you choose that? And and what was your kind of goal there, did you think, at that time? Well, I came from a family of nine, and yeah. my mother was actually a Hallmark illustrator. Oh, my gosh. And my father was an architect, and I said I really wanted to be an illustrator because my sister Kathy was also an illustrator. She's nine years older than me. I love She that. was a staff illustrator at the Chicago Tribune. Kind of in the heyday of illustration. Yeah, so seriously. Up until about the age of 16, I thought, oh, I was going to pursue architecture. And then I worked at my dad's office as a draftsman for three years. And I just, it really, just the whole idea of being an illustrator and being able to communicate with images, really, yeah. it just grabbed me. So I told my parents that, that kind of was my plan. And they said, well, I think you should go into graphic design because then you'll have a skill mm-hmm. and then you'll always have a fallback plan and, you know, the illustration you can do on your own. So that's what I did. And I hung around Kathy and I kind of understood, you know, how the business was working. And uh, third year of college, I took a break between my junior and senior year. I was super burned out. Um, because I was stacking hours and I was also doing my own um, curriculum for an illustration career. I kind of designed my own program because they didn't have one. I went to University of Illinois. Mm-hmm. So, I, so at that point, Kathy needed help on a project. And my mother had sent my sister and I, because she was having some health issues. And she thought it was really important that women learn how to be independent, brave, go out. So we were traveling in Europe. Love it. And Kathy was over there with her husband. He was in a doing a, a fellowship. I think it was in England. And so I ended up staying there to help her because she was 
going to have her first baby. And uh, then I was there for a while. And then I came, I live with them in a little tiny apartment up in Norwich. Nice. And we worked together. And then I came back and I moved to Dallas for a while. And then I started doing freelance, my own freelance illustration. And I didn't really have a style. I mean, mm -hmm. I was just exploring mediums and I would get that American illustration and yeah. uh, just study the Dagmar Frenta, Vivian Flesher, oh, Marshall Arisman, you know, so cool. all the you know, all those names from the past. Yes. So, and could be in the present. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so that's kind of how I started, but I, I came back after that year and my mother said, you need to finish your degree. You will regret if you don't mm -hmm. finish your degree. Mm -hmm. So that's what I did. And I cedar year when I came back, I, um, had a friend that I, I made, she was from Norway. She was an exchange student, Benedicta. And she, she was six feet tall, red hair, just, wow. just had this amazing energy. And she, and we became good friends. And she said, you'd be stupid if you didn't go to New York city and pursue <sighs> illustration. And I, and I said, well, I don't know where I'd live. And she said, well, I have an apartment. All, all of us Norwegians have this area down on Bleecker street. We rent this oh apartment and we gosh. could share the apartment. So I was like, okay. Bleecker and what? I have to ask. Bleecker and 10th. I knew you were going to say that. Oh my God. <laughs> I spent a lot of time at Bleecker and 10th. There's a little coffee shop there. Anyway, that's was right across from my apartment. And I, oh, that's where I started, but that was 1987. Wow. I moved there in August of 1987. Before I moved there in August or September, maybe it was closer to September. I went out to California and worked with my other sister who was a graphic designer. And I definitely decided I did not want to be a graphic designer. Oh, wow. Interesting. What was she, was she freelancing or is she working with particular uh, clients? She had her own business at the time. Okay. And that was the real estate boom. So she did a ton of capabilities brochures. For oh, yeah. So that kind of graphic logos. design. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that kind of graphic <laughs> No, that would not be what I would want to do either. So you figured <laughs> out no to that. Yeah. I, you know, I guess I was attracted to the weather, you know, coming from the Midwest. I grew up in Illinois, just close to the Wisconsin border. But um I had, I had other brothers and sisters in the arts. I, my, my second oldest brother has a, has had his own business as an industrial designer out in Massachusetts for I think close to 30 years, maybe a little less than that. So I had, I knew about all these different disciplines, but yeah. illustration was really still, I was stuck on that. And I thought, well, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. So at that time where couple months in and I'm just like going through cash. I'm just like, just, and you're in New York. I'm in New York. Yeah. And I did some secretarial work and I didn't want to get a graphic design job because I thought if I get a graphic design job, I'll get stuck in that graphic design job and I'll get used to the paycheck. And that was not my intention. Yes. So I think came December and things got a little, little tight. And so I I was like, okay, I am not moving home. I am not going back to the farm. I am going to do that. <laughs> that is a big difference. <laughs> so um, I had met my husband. My hus I met my husband there. Oh, cool. He was 
living in Jersey and we met through my sister and her, her now husband. In any case, I, I really wanted to stay there and make it work. And at that time, I don't know if you remember the publication, Seven Days. Seven Days. You I don't know if days? I do. John Belknap okay. was the art director. He came, I think he came over from Wall Street Journal. Okay. Anyway, so Kathy had done all the headers in the scratchboard style. Mm-hmm. So I had like a painterly brush, black and white style, because yeah. a lot of the illustration work was black and white pretty much up until about 1996, 97. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what exactly happened in that shift up until about 97, 98. We kind of moved to a different type of illustration, like color. It was very colorful. Right. I don't know if it was because of a matter of printing and capabilities, but in any case, I started doing work for seven days and other art directors were following this magazine because it was a weekly publication and it was heavy with illustration. And I did these funny little stories. I always got the funny, the, the, the comedic kind of, yeah, fun. you know, slice of life kind of things. Yeah. And, uh, that was great because I would, I would get a call from an art director and, and they would give me a few, I would go up, show my portfolio. I'd look at the days where you're going to drop your portfolio off. And I, I did that. And I think came January and I went out and took a pretty good chunk of money. I went down to Pearl and I bought an extra portfolio because I thought, well, if I have two portfolios or even three, I could drop them off at three places (laughs) And that's what I did. <laughs> wow. Awesome. I was so scrappy. <laughs> Back <in the laughs> that's day. how you have to be. I was scrappy. And um, so, yeah, that's how it started. And I did a lot of work for Wall Street Journal and Business Week and wow. Travel and Leisure. That was the heyday of illustration. Yeah. Magazines and print were just, it was just booming. And there weren't that many female illustrators, I don't think, I mean, compared to men. Right. That many. So, right. No, much different. Plus I was from Wisconsin, which was a novelty. They love my <laughs> accent. We lived blocks from each other in 1989. Oh, I lived, we probably walked past lived, each other. <laughs> I worked at 10th and Bleecker at Pierre Did de. Mm-hmm. And oh, I lived, really? I lived, um, on Cornelia street. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. Just literally blocks away. And, you know, I went to school for graphic design, but the program where I went to school, they cut it in my freshman year. So I just kind of did other design things and that was great. But I kind of graduated thinking, eh, what am I going to do with this? And my mom was in interior, interior decor. So I just, you know, anyway, got to New York, which was great. Yes. For a we little bu- while. <laughs> we were bumpkins. <laughs> we were. How long were you there? I was there for three years. Love that. And then um, in 1990, uh, I got married. Well, actually, it's a funny story. So I moved up to um, 70th in York, yeah, about 79th in York, yeah, up by Gramercy Mansion. Mm-hmm. And I was, yeah, I was up there too. I paid my up near the hospitals, and I paid my rent every month. I walk it down to Mr. Braun's office, mm-hmm. and it's like this real New Yorker with a big cigar and a jaguar oh come by oh. and. <laughs> And he'd, he'd call me Linder. Linder. And I would, Linder. And he said, hey, Linda, you're so good at, at dropping off that check. You know, we're redoing the apartment upstairs. You could have it for the same price. And I was like, oh. oh my so I gosh. called up. My husband was going to business school at the time in Chicago. 
I said, hey, what's happening here? Because I have an apartment upstairs. Are we getting married or what? <laughs> Way to go. <laughs> to which he said, yes. So Aww. then we got married. <laughs> he finished. That. The rest is history. So anyway, it was kind of a funny story. But yeah. yes, going back to young, I, I think it's funny because when I started out, I had to show that I could pay my rent. Right, right, right. And and, and I, that I, wasn't, and you had to be scrappy. You had to go hit the pavement, like you said. Yep, you did. And, and there was, I just, I worked all the time. As my daughter says, you have no boundaries. You just work all the time. Oh. But I, <laughs> I think, think that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe not. I think being in New York though, you know, you, you have to kind of put yourself, now we can, it's putting yourself out wherever people are looking. So whatever that looks like, but in New York, if you wanted to be scrappy in that way, you might as well go right where they were, right where the action was, you know? Well, because this is, I sound like I'm so old. <laughs> so fax machines hadn't even been invented. The first piece of machinery I bought was a fax machine that yeah. allowed me to send a sketch like that yeah. afternoon. So if wall street journal called and said, I yeah. need a, I need a finish tomorrow. Yeah. I could get them a sketch that afternoon. And sometimes I would deliver it. Right. Even at seven days, sometimes I would show up and hand deliver the art and they would say, do you have a, do you have time to make an illustration? We need a little spot. So I started carrying pen and ink and paper. Oh, wow. Wow. Mm -hmm. And my sketchbooks and actually my sketchbooks actually got me more and more work because they didn't really want to see my, they saw the printed stuff in the portfolio, right. but they really were interested in my private sketchbooks, which I was really nervous about dropping off yeah. at those drop-offs. So, but, but that's so cool that you did that because I don't know, I always feel like when you're, when you look through those, you get a peek into that illustrator's mind, you know, and, and then you, you're like, oh my gosh, look what she can do. We, we'll have her do this or that. Yeah. I think that's where I, I, um, I don't know how many people, maybe um, Tim Lewis was doing it at the time, but I actually broke the borders. I did mm. freeform borders. Mm. That was kind of like a newer style or thought that you could, it was about the time when Adobe came in, so you could wrap type. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, so yeah. I did a lot of spots. Isn't it interesting to think that there was a time when we didn't do those things? I know, right? <laughs> Broken borders, wrap type, you know, color. So bold. <laughs> right? Oh my I think God. Not like my grandmother. <laughs> yeah. I think it was a matter of ignorance because I didn't yeah. go to SVA. I didn't go to uh, RISD or any of these other programs. And so I had no idea what other people were doing. Right. I just right. had like guidance of my family and my sister. Right. We learn when so, we learn. Right. And I love you that you're, you, you come from a family with such creative roots. I mean, deep, it sounds like that's, that's really what a great, Thing to be surrounded by. I mean, I was, but you had many more of you. I love that. Engineers and artists. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So uh, that's, let me think. So I had my, so I had a really good run. I had a great run um, up until probably about 1995, my first son was born. So I was probably about 32 at that time. And I saw things changing in the marketplace. Um, one of the things is that I moved back to Chicago and we mm. lived in Chicago for eight years mm. after. Um, and 
I started doing a lot of capabilities brochures. It wasn't like super exciting work and it was, it was a departure from my original work. Sure. But it paid the bills because my husband decided to go back to school again. Uh, yeah, yeah. And so here, you know, I'm going to have to support the entire family. And yeah. uh, so I did capabilities brochures and reports. I could do it in black and white on Scratchboard. It was kind of like a WPA style. Mm, and then, cool. um, then I started paying in gouache. And I had this very angular kind of geometric style going. And it, it was pretty popular with companies, especially um, agricultural, engineering, financial. And so I did that a while. But then after my son was about two, I actually got, again, once again, I was kind of burned out. Mm. And I remember the day that I got a pretty big job in. And I just, I was like, I, I can't do this. I can't work like this anymore. I'm going to destroy myself. And I called up this other illustrator that his work was similar, was kind of digital. I can't mm -hmm. remember. He was, he had a, a Russian last name. Anyway, I said, would you like this job? Oh, <laughs> and wow. He sent me a note about six months later and, and I, he was like, I can't believe you turned that job was like the best job. Oh, <laughs> and I said, I, I'm glad it worked out for you. I yeah. said, you know, I do believe that when you help others in the business, it only comes back to help, you know, help yeah, everyone. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so uh, I get a lot of calls from young creatives or direct messages. And I, I, I do try to spend time yeah. and I, I, I'll give them a quick note. I'll say either I can talk to you or I can't. And I'll just check in with people. But in any case, my daughter was born in 1998. And I took some time off, actually. And I decided to just do that. And I had, uh, uh, I didn't have a contract with Cooking Light. But um, they, I had, a, I did spots nice. for them every month. Oh, cool. So Cooking Light was and USA Today for standards. And that I still continue to do a lot for wall street journal. And then, um, when the kids were about three and five, we, my husband had finished his training and we moved to Milwaukee and I decided he finally had a job with benefits and pay. And I was like, okay, now I can maybe try to do something that I haven't done before. And that right. was children's illustration because when I first came to New York, I showed my portfolio around and I was told my work was way too sophisticated for children's market. And I just, I just abandoned it. I was, I got to pay the bills. So yeah. Uh, editorial was where it was at. I mean, I kind of was watching all these markets for many years and it seemed if I had to look back on everything in the last 35 years, it seems like every seven to eight years, there's a major shift mm -hmm. as to what the market will bear. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And I think we're at that shift again, mm -hmm. actually. Yeah. Um, and it'll be interesting, interesting to see where, I don't know where it's going to go. Yeah. Um, There's a lot of things playing into that. I think so many, uh, just the type of art that, that is desired, what it's used for, you know, I just look at, I think about product development and the changes that have had to happen there because of COVID and the, and, and, and manufacturing and, 
and how factories work. And then, like you said, style-wise, I think we really get a big shift as well. Yeah, I think uh, it'll be interesting to see because I was watching something the other night on artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if we'll have the shift toward um, even more creative expression as kind of like a fight against the yeah. artificial intelligence. Hope so. Um, I have faith that, you know, I do believe that if we start to computerize everything and ro- everything is robotic, you lose that feeling and that empathy and that touch that the hand, the hand. And I think people will start to continue to crave. They'll start to crave that. I think so too. I mean, I, I think we've seen that with, for instance, small makers. I mean, I think there was a time when crafting or making things by hand or having a small making business was like, Oh, why would you want to do that when you can easily have it made here or there? And then all of a sudden there were more and more craft shows or things popping up where you could, where people were making a whole business out of woodcraft or, you know, making um, their own clothing or whatever that might be. And, and that was really nice to see. So, and I feel like that arose out of too commercialized things that felt far, farther away, not touchable. And I hope it the same is true with AI where it finds its place where it needs to be, but we, as artists and creatives, um, take a different kind of stand as well. Yeah. And, um, you know, uh, I make it sound so easy, this whole thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I will tell you, it's, it's a process. I don't think you ever shake insecurity. I every time right. I, every time I start a new job, I panic. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, can I do the, a good job on this? <laughs> this is going to be good. Client like this. <laughs> it's yeah. completely insane. And I have to get it. And it's getting better. And I think I was having a, a lot of that during COVID. And so I, that's why I doubled down on the sketchbooks again. So mm-hmm. um, many times I'll finish, like today, I finished a, a project. There was two parts to it and I finished it. And it took, took a while to get it this all done and you have to stay really focused and I rewarded myself doing a little painting today so good in my sketchbook so I was happy because it was I had the pencil drawing in my book so I one way I can get past that insecurity is just to keep those again again back to the sketchbooks um but the children's book thing I don't know sorry no yeah go for it but the children's book thing um was a long process. I had ideas. I think it took probably about five years to get that first book series. Mm -hmm. And it actually ended up being a novelty book for Simon and Schuster. It was Pepper the dog. It was this cute little dog. And um, they asked me if I'd like to do uh, lift the flaps with it and paper engineering, kind of like David Carter does. Uh And um, so that was super fun because I, I, worked with this art director at Simon and Schuster, um, Kim Gatto. And she taught me all about, she gave, she sent me a book that he had published on paper engineering. And I oh, wow. absolutely fell in love with paper engineering. And it kind of fell back to my heart times of what I heard from my dad as a yes. contextual draftsman. Um, so yeah, those were Pepper the Dog series. And I did four. And then um they wanted me to do an East fifth one. and I couldn't get it done. They were going to give me three months. And then the market crashed in 2005. And that was it 
for that project. It just, oh. you know, so then I puttered along and I was with it, an agency for a long time. And I did somehow I ended up being known as the Margaret Wise Brown illustrator. I, mm. I honestly didn't know what I, what style I was going to use for that book. Again, panicked to the nth right. degree as to, I invented it on the spot. And I always liked, you know, the nostalgic illustrations. Yes. And then yes. Sterling gave me a, a nice series, children's treasury series. It was really nice. And so what then, do you mean you became known as the Margaret Wise Brown illustrator? Well, <laughs> these manuscripts were discovered. And so uh, in an attic, and so they released all these manuscripts. And um, so they were looking for illustrators who could do that kind of retro golden that, book style. Yes. Oh so my the, gosh. the pepper, the book, the Pepper the Dog series kind of fit that style. And I had some pieces in my portfolio that evidently that they thought that was. I love, what, then, a, what a huge, awesome thing. I'm such a fan. Yeah. And so I did the Moonshines Down, but the, the Treasury series, now that I think back on it, the Treasury series was done before then. There were six books, okay. the first four. The kicker was I had to have all four done in three months. Oh my gosh. And so it was a big break. Uh, I really grappled with it because summer was coming. I really wanted to be with my kids. Wow. They were like yeah. second and sec first and fourth grade. Wow. So I hired a college student. And so mm -hmm. I really scheduled myself that summer. And so we'd play all morning, go swimming or whatever. And then I would just like, Bob's going to work. Yeah. <laughs> and they were so draw. good about it. They were good about it. Um, and then, you know, I've always tried to balance that family life and work life. Yeah. It's really tricky when you have a family. And now, of course, my kids are out of the house. So I'm kind of back into that stage when I can work whenever, you know. Yeah, which is nice. Yeah. And I think your path, it sounds like you really um, were aware of what you were interested in, as well as aware of what was selling and tried tried different things. Yeah, I think it's important. I, I mean, I, how, how should I, I don't know if that's for me, it was important for me to see, like, kind of look at the market, see where them, where they're buying. Mm -hmm. And then kind of tailor, you know, tailor my portfolio. And then just, I sent postcards and postcards and just, I would, you know, we didn't have LinkedIn. Right, right. And I get a little bite here and there. And of course we had source books and I put right. the ads in there and I do the competitions and sometimes I would get in, I got on CA and I think I was in print a lot. Yeah. Um, I think of. about the word um, resiliency, you know, when, when we're, when we're inventing and reinventing and, and wanting to do things that we might not yet, like maybe before you'd done the children's books and, and just kind of it, what that looks like when you keep trying something and when you, when you know you need to change. And it sounds like that's a, an excellent tool in your toolbox as well. Yeah. I think what I like to do is always have <clears throat> working on a style. And I look back at it, I was working in black and white primarily, but on the, on the other side, I was developing color. Mm-hmm. And when that color style started to wane and the jobs weren't coming in, I shifted to a new style, something a little looser. Mm -hmm. 
And then of course life changes. I had a little, the luxury of stopping Mm -hmm. for my own health. And, Mm -hmm. um, I, it just happened in the last three years again, where Mm -hmm. I went through this huge shift because in my mid forties, I started to have some major health issues. Yeah. I I want to talk about that and how that affected. I was not, I was unaware that I had this issue. Mm. So, but so how did at that point when you were so deeply into your career, what happened then? Um, so I had published my, I think it was, I had published, um, the moon shines down and I published, um, my first picture book, Santa's hat. I did, um, I'm trying to think what other ones I did. <laughs> um, I'm talking about the treasury series. I did, was doing a lot of school publishing. Mm-hmm. A lot of the stuff that I was doing for the children's market was not very sexy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not school sure. publishing. It just, sure. you know, yeah. it kept me busy and I was still doing editorial, but, um, where was I going with this? <laughs> just when <laughs> you had health things oh. can't come up, like oh. how, how That's you managed that. So I had that back pain came on and I had a friend that said, oh, uh, you know, maybe we core, we'll get you strong. And so I did that and I hit 46 and I got to a point where I was coaching my daughter's volleyball team Hmm. and I was quite active. I was still riding my bike a long way and, but I couldn't walk anymore. My hip flexor was locking up Hmm. and I had, I was actually physically dragging my right leg. And I was unstoppable. I just kept oh, walking, gosh. dragging oh, this foot around, but then the pain was coming at night. So I finally uh, went to see a physical therapist and she said, I'm not supposed to tell you this, but I think you have some major issues. This is not, this is not like simple. Oh wow! So you need to go to the surgeon because he's going to be the best reconstructive surgeon. So I walk in and they put these two x-rays up and he's like, oh yeah, I have hip dysplasia. You're going to need a, a, um, you need to have both hips replaced. Oh, <laughs> I was athletic. I was like, wow. Like what? Yeah. <laughs> my husband was out of town with my son. And I just remember calling him. And I was like, I had a, I don't cry much, but I, I just like cried. I got in the car. I just like, yeah. I was stunned. Well, that's saying you have to change everything right now. Yeah. I was like, oh, I have to, I have to change, yeah. but I still was working. And I thought they assured me that they would replace. So they gave me this big, um, what's called an intraarticular shot. So basically what hips dysplasia is, is it was a congenital birth defect. I um, was missed multiple times by doctors, misdiagnosed Mm. um, because I had back pain, my Mm. teens. And Mm. I was told either I was overactive or da, 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 da. Right. And um, so that's, I was, I, they did the shot. It gave me some relief. Um, he told me to be extremely careful because I had a tendon tear. Mm. And um, he said, you come back at the end of the summer because that was March. And he said, you can um, decide what you want to do. Do you want to go in there and clean it all out? He goes, but I, I'm afraid that you'll come back and you'll need you'll be in too much pain after the surgery. And then we'll need to replace it anyway a year and a half. And my mother was very sick at the time. She had leukemia. Um, and I came back in August. I said, I've decided I've got to replace the hip. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I play golf on that because he didn't say you can't play golf. 
<laughs> Not for punishment. You didn't anyway, say. <laughs> you didn't say that. Um, in any case, I, I had the hip replaced in October and that was just an absolute train wreck. The hip replacement oh, went no. well, but I had to be on a walker for two months because I had a tendon tear repair. So I was on a walker for two months. Um, when I got off the walker, um, I had to learn how to rewalk. Mm. So I spent many, many days in physical therapy and the back pain came back, but then it came back on vengeance. And then they discovered that I had a um, impingement on the left uh, portion of the S1 L5. Mm. So I was too weak. My hemocrit level had tanked. I had lost too much blood from that surgery. So Oh, um, they said, we can't do the surgery for you now. So they've loaded me up with gabapentin and other things. And it was pretty good. Just the gabapentin and Tylenol. And I had the, decom the, uh, decompression surgery, the laminectomy in May. And I was just so frail. I was just mm -hmm. so weak. Mm -hmm. And I think I wrote a letter to, or a note to my agent. I said, I'm just so weak. I don't know if I can go on. I think I might yeah. have to retire. And she's okay. You tell us when you're ready to work. And in any case, um, I ended up selling a book. At that time. Oh, really? <laughs> but I still had to get my other hip replaced. Oh, geez. So year and a half later, I got tough. I got a little bit stronger. I lost the weight from the surgery. And they said, okay, we're going to relent. You can have the other hip done a little bit prematurely. It's not so bad on the arthritis, but you're evidently having a really difficult time. So that was 2015. Long story. Um, I finished what's in my truck and what's in my trade and the tickly spider. And I was oh doing gosh. things for highlights and I couldn't stand because I was getting weak and I was having dizzy spells and SI joint dysfunction. And I'm like, oh my God, this is the biggest test of my life. No so um, I quit pretty okay. much yeah. 2016 okay. for one year. And then um, we were, they were trying to decide what to do and they couldn't really see anything on the scans. 2017, I went into um, severe spasms. Oh my God. My, my right leg was turning purple. I had to wait six weeks because the surgeon was out of town. And so I had a full fusion between S1 and L4. Oh so I have, gosh. I now have 12 screws, two plates. Goodness. Two, a robot. <laughs> but you so, are a working fiend. You're still doing all the things. Did it? Well, I mean, obviously it slowed you down that year, but did you just did you feel like you loved it so much you couldn't stay away or, or no, how did I you re-entry? How did you handle re-entry? I entered a severe depression. Okay. Um, and so uh, I credit my daughter because, you know, when you go through these things, you, you just worry so much that your you know, your kids aren't going to handle this because they're seeing you decline, decline, decline. And I said, what am I? And I would laugh. I go, what the heck am I going to do with myself? <laughs> So I started embroidering uh -huh, uh -huh. and it would, became a great brain exercise because yeah. it would displace the pain okay. as I healed. And she said, why don't you join Instagram? I'm like, Instagram. I'm like, Instagram. I'm like, no. <laughs> so she goes, no, it'll be fun. You can, 
you could do your little cartoons and you could just, it'll be fun for you. It'd be something you can do. I said, okay. So that's what I did. Smart. And um, I didn't know about all these challenges that I discovered all these challenges and folktale week and I was having so much fun. And then I was like, you know what, this is really, this is good. This is all good. Yeah. And then um, I think it was 2019. I did this little piece on a panel of tigers and lions. It was called big cats. Mm-hmm. And Mia Gallison saw it. Mm-hmm. It posted, and she contacted me and asked me if I'd like to try some puzzles for Ebu. So for Ebu, and I did the first four of within the series. The, it was a within the series. So you posted it on Instagram, and and she saw it on Instagram. Yes, Is that how that worked. Okay, yeah. And then uh, because I, I she had contacted me about fifteen probably about 10 years before that, but nothing ever happened. Oh, interesting. And I always say things happen. I always think things happen for a reason. And I think if I had worked for Ibu then, I probably wouldn't be working for them now <laughs> because I don't think my work was ready. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's great. You have so was, many products with them. It's really cool. I'm just, I just, they're really great to work with and for. Um, I think, We've been working pretty well as a team. I'm kind of in their education category. It's really hard to place my work, my children's work, because it's, it, it is sophisticated to some extent, and it isn't really cutesy. I try, mm-hmm. but <laughs> sometimes I have no, to No, I think it fits really well. So it just, it worked out great. So um, yes, I am doing work with, with both Sax and Mia. And that. um yeah, I don't know if I'll ever try to publish another book. I have ideas, but it's so much work. And I don't well, know. You've done a lot. I kind of feel like I'm at that point where I'm just content. Um, nice. I have to spend a fair amount of time keeping strong um, because I have um, a condition called um, HEDS, hypermobility. It's mm. euler stanlow mm. It's not something you can d- diagnose with a uh, like a blood test or anything, but um, I have this extreme hi- hyperflexibility, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the way you conquer that flexibility is with muscle strength. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the reasons why I was having this SI joint pain and this uh, feeling like I was going to pass out is good because it was discovered that I have dysautonomia. That's the big driver. Okay. And um, so I have to be extremely careful that, um, because I can, if I get my neck too far out or I compress, my neck gets compressed, I get vertiginous, um, uh, symptoms, you know, disease and, um, Hmm. uh, blood pressure could run a little low. So I spend a fair amount of time (laughs) that word self-care. Yeah. So, um, and I did something in 2016 that I never said I was going to do. And that was, I got a dog. Oh, see, that's smart. And then he passed oh, in 2019. And we got another one and the kids were like, I can't believe you're getting another dog. I'm like, I need a dog. I yeah. absolutely need a dog. Once you have a dog, can't go back. So, um, so yes. has that, that been a helpful thing as well? Yes, because I have to get up every morning and walk. Yeah. And I have to move. You have to get up and move. Um, and so the key to <laughs> the key to living a long time is obviously you, as my sister is a physical therapist says, be a shark, keep moving. If sharks stop moving, they die. 
be a shark. <laughs> well, and I think you've done obviously a, a really good job of managing. I mean, you're obviously super creative in it and it exudes from everywhere and, and you need it. So how do you balance that, you know, with health making you maybe slow down a little bit and things like that. And it seems, it seems like you've, you've done that in a way that hopefully is working for you, but it's a, it's a, it's a challenge. I think when there's, especially when you have illnesses that not everybody can see or understand, um, you have to, you have to kind of set your boundaries and, and know what to say when and how to stand up for yourself. Yeah. I think those invisible illnesses are a real challenge. And, you know, the thing is about invisible, nobody wants to hear it. (laughs) So it's very isolating. And many times people question, like they can't, they're like, I don't get it. I don't, why, I don't understand why you're walking around on a cane. And then you can then go hit golf balls. And then, (laughs) you know, it's not like I'm doing those things all the time, but you know, I, I developed great empathy in the last 10 years for people with invisible disabilities. In fact, I ended up starting a support group on Facebook. It's a, it's a private group for people with hip dysplasia. I'm not, I'm still an admin with an along with another person, but I started, I started the group with a, of somebody who I met through a chat site on the international hip dysplasia Institute site. Oh, cool. Um, and she was from England and she, we had almost parallel stories, but she was, she was about 10, 15 younger, years younger than me. And she became my little pen pal. And I actually met up with her in 2019. Aww, nice. My daughter was over there studying and I, I was feeling well enough and I pushed myself. And I think that trip actually helped me push through a lot of fear. Oh, that's um, good. Yeah. I think sometimes, I mean, I don't know what things get a certain way and then you have to you have to say, where, where was I before this? Or who do I really need to be in this situation? And that part gets scary because you, you end up in this kind of comfort zone. It's like, Oh, you know, I can hang out here. And then it's like, wait, I've lost myself. I need to find myself. I, I really had definitely lost myself. And that was part of the depression. And I I hated the fact that now I was identified as, Oh, what? Like I would see people just friends around town. They're like, Oh, so what operation are you having now? And it's like everything revolved around this, mm-hmm. and it, and nobody even knew that I was an illustrator. Interesting. Mm, I mean, yeah, and it was hard. I always I always had to laugh because people are like, "Wow, you could do that for a living." And I'm thinking, <laughs> <laughs> what books are in your on your bookshelf? <laughs> and I would just laugh I, to myself. I go, "Oh yeah, I, I know it's it's a lot of work." I would I would just like say I wouldn't be offended or anything. Sure. I would just say, yeah, that would be a good idea, you know, because I just didn't want to get into the whole thing. I I was raised Catholic. I suppose it's a little bit of the being humble. I went to a Catholic school for the first eight years and our our school was called Our Lady of Humility, which (sighs) there you go. So there you go. (laughs) This isn't great. It was pounded into us. Yes. Um, You, you mentioned briefly an agent. And I I imagine, um, I would love to know in your career, how having an agent has helped and how you feel it has held you back and what, what your thoughts are around that. Cause you even mentioned before that you, you went down that path yourself. So if you don't mind, let's chat about agents for a sec. Sure. Um, when I first started out, I did not have an agent and I think it's extremely important. 
um, to even if you do have an agent just coming out of school, I think it's really important to learn the business of how to find people, art directors, and learn how to speak to them, um, learn the business side. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I learned on my own. When I uh, moved to Chicago, so probably was in about three to four years into my career, I was approached by um, an agent out of Dallas. And I was with that particular agent, but then she hired someone and then she hired uh, this other gal and I was with her and I, she got me some good um, accounts. I actually did the Encarta series, like all the drawings for the, the Encarta encyclopedia series, which was short, short lived because the product never even made the shelf because it was the internet was invented. Yeah. Story of my life. Uh, uh, and there was an issue with finances and she wasn't, I hate to even mention this, but no names, but she didn't pay up Mm -hmm. and it was a sizable amount. And Mm -hmm. so I was just, I was like, this is not good. Yeah. So I parted amicably. I said, you need to send me a check. And then as soon as I got the check, I said, okay, our, our thing is ended here. I will handle the billing and I will send you your percentage. That's how Mm. it's going to work from here on out. Mm. And then I had a couple of agents around Chicago that uh, would just call me because they knew I was there and I didn't have an agent. They say, Oh, I have a job. And they would, they would stop by. Um, But then for the children's book market, I actually was with painted words. Mm. I was with them for about 15 years and it just, in the last five years, it just wasn't fitting into what I wanted to do. And I just felt like I wasn't getting anywhere. And I was uh, compounded, you know, I was trying to juggle also taking care of my father. He Mm. lives in the area. And I just, I didn't want to have anything tethering me on responsibility, you know, because you feel like you're responsible, you have to come up with book ideas. Mm -hmm. And it's, you're not getting paid for that time. Right. And it's a real struggle. I think mentally to put that much energy into something and to get nothing back is a real test of test of your endurance. And quite frankly, after that health issue, I had a different perspective on things. And I just like, I'm not wasting any more time on this because it's not going anywhere. And I just didn't want to do school publishing anymore. Mm-hmm. And I saw the budgets were getting less and less. And I just was so negative. And I was like, before I got into a space where I was negative, angry, frustrated, I thought I'm going to get out. When something mm-hmm. doesn't work, like a hip <laughs> or a knee or back, you have to sometimes get rid of it mm-hmm. because you can't move forward with broken parts. You just Mm. can't, you can't, you You just can't. And so, um, you know, young creatives, uh, you know, that time where you can do it 100% full time. I don't know if that exists anymore. I hate to say that maybe for some, but that's okay. Um, My daughter's dealing with that now. She's a writer, illustrator. She's graphic novelist. And I just, I, said to her, I said, you have to decide how much do you want that 
mindset than anxiety of knowing where that next job is? Or do you want to go do something else? Um, maybe it's not even illustration related. Right. She has an, she's an English major from Minnesota. Mm. And she worked at the university in the administration for a couple of years while she was going to school. And so she's, she's exploring lots of different things. I said, she's super organized. I said, you'd be a great asset to anybody's company. I think just a look at your best assets. If you're ever in that predicament, right. Do a, a, an accounting of your assets, mm-hmm. your strengths, and then get out there on LinkedIn yes. and see what's there. A hundred percent. Because sometimes just having that money come in will free you um, creatively. Right. It gives it, it, it lets you have that creative time back. If you're not maybe worrying about every creative job you has, you have has to pay the bills. If you can use those assets to, to lighten your financial load, sometimes it's a really good thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I, there was a time in my early thirties, I almost went back to school to become a physical therapist because I was, I didn't know why, but I was constantly trying to fix pain. And so I got super interested in, in, in anatomy and physiology and kinesiology. And my sister at the time was a physical therapist. And I thought that's a cool job. She worked with brain injury and spinal cord injuries. So, yeah. So I don't know. I know. And I, I love what you said. You can't move forward with broken parts. And I think the same is you, you can't move forward when you're not, when those same things don't inspire you. So it's, it's thinking like, well, maybe I am interested in physical therapy, or maybe I need to take a course over here or or whatever that is to, to get yourself kind of out of that rut or continue to love what you do in some way, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I have a lot of friends that are professionals. They're now getting close to retirement or have retired. Many of them are taking art classes. Mm-hmm. I always I wanted to do this kind of thing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And they're pretty high level positions. Yeah. And now that's all they do. I oh. know that one was a, a ENT and he retired and he became an Audubon illustrator. He does these beautiful. Wow. That's all he does. That's cool. So um, I, don't, I don't think you can ever get rid of your creativity. Oh, no. You know, I reading NCYS book that right now. That sounds so interesting, yeah. And he said, if you don't have feeling for something, or he said, if you have feeling for something, it will live. Um, so I think if you start to hit wane or have a, a feeling of um, remorse or you don't have that inspiration toward a certain style or it's just not do it's not going to live. Interesting. So that's, you know, you, you have to find those things in life that inspire you. It's, it's not so much, sometimes it's not so much who inspires you. It's the, what about the who that inspires you? Yeah. Why the why? Mm -hmm. I mean, because Mm -hmm. we can, there's many, many illustrators that I see their work and I go, wow, that's so cool how they did that. Mm-hmm. Or you see a palette, you know, and you say, oh, beautiful color combo. I love that combination. But as far as, you know, if I had to put my, my, like put a name on something like who inspires me, I always tend to go back to the masters. Mm-hmm. So 
I went to the Ashcan, Ashcan, Ashcan exhibit in Milwaukee. And there were a group of, I think, eight painters. That show was so inspiring because there were so many, there was lithographs and oil paintings and pencil drawings. And it was just a really inspiring show. And I think museums are a great place to go, to be inspired. For sure. Um, And nature, of course. I'm always inspired when I go to nature, go out in nature. How did you instill creativity in your kiddos? Well, (laughs) when they were really little, we used to build Rue Goldbergs in the basement. Nice. Wow. Love it. So I would set up, um, I could just, cause I had fun. So we would do these little marble things and they were pretty little. I mean, I have a little clip of them. Sarah was just a little thing running around. And then, uh, when we moved, we had to move from different places. I kept all the boxes and I made a tunnel in the oh, basement cool. cause cool. we lived in Middleton, Wisconsin, which is part of just outside of Madison. So I always had things like that going on. Lots of art supplies, um, walks, you know, when they were in there in a funky mood, I'd say, okay, you need to get out. My, not unlike my mother, mm-hmm. because she would say, you're getting, her favorite was saying was, you're getting antsy. You need to all go outside. <laughs> I'll bet she did. <laughs> <laughs> we go outside. I mean, disappear for a while. That's when you could, but we lived on a tree farm. Oh, and cool. We come back. Those days just don't exist anymore for kids. It's really hard. It's different for sure. I try to try to make my kids resourceful. I think trying to teach children how to make something out of nothing is a great resource. It is. I love which is my sisters and brothers probably look at what why is she making things out of toilet paper rolls? But I saw that one. I saw that video on your Instagram the other day. That was great. Like, what's this turning know. into? It's great. <laughs> because everybody has a toilet paper roll. Right. And it's a puzzle. And if you could build something out of a challenge to yourself, you know, giving yourself these self challenges, exercises, both sides of the brain. And, you know, if you want to, if you want to be artificial intelligence, you have to work both sides of your brain. Yes. Yes. If you have to, if you're going to beat it for sure you do. So, yeah, I know we have, um, artisan schools program here where I live and my kiddo is now 14, but in his maybe, I guess, eighth grade year in the math class, which was kind of cool. Um, an artist came in and they had to make paper mache figures of themselves and the math part of it was it they had to measure their foot and it had to be proportional so that I guess is where the math came in but it was really interesting to watch these kids because it was they were all still on screen so we were doing it at home because it was COVID times and um so maybe it was seventh grade but they had they all had to kind of do it and it wasn't techie at all it was paper and they made their own glue even and it was oh, so wow. interesting watching these characters come to life and kind of what kids were struggling with it, who had help from their parents you know but just that hands on creating something that wasn't there from things you find around the house, which of course we grew up doing, but not everybody does anymore. And it was, it was very cool to watch, watch those things come to life. I was grateful for that little project. I, I encourage parents now with young kids to, 
to not put them on tablets to learn how to draw. Yeah. I, you know, get a plastic high chair with a tray, yeah. put some water in it. Yeah. If you, if they if you don't want them to use paint, there's, you could use beet juice if they're not allergic to it, but yeah. <laughs> and let them explore and have fun. I mean, that's kind of how we grew up. We didn't have a lot. Right. We had, you know, scraps left over from old building sites. We mm-hmm. had old blueprint paper. My mom would roll out on a giant table. Nice. And she she didn't like crayons because she felt that they were inferior drawing <laughs> implements. <laughs> Go mom. <laughs> well, coming being a Hallmark illustrator, uh, that sounds fascinating. Okay, so there's a story of resilience. Yeah. So she was uh, she was eight hours short of her interior architecture degree from the Art Institute of Chicago. Okay. She started having children at 21. She finished at 40. She continued to make landscapes for her father's business, tree nursery. Wow. She started doing these little mouse prints at the fun fair to raise money for the missions. And people thought they were the coolest thing. There were these little mice dressed. In, she would take people's thumbprints and put them on, and then she put little dresses on. Oh, gosh. And then she, she was quite, quite an amazing illustrator. So she very whimsical, very sweet, and just jam-packed. I mean, sometimes right. my illustrations get jam-packed. But um, she... My sister, because she was at the Tribune, was kind of saying, no, this is how you go get a portfolio and then you send your stuff to Hallmark. That's what you do. So she sent some things in and they said, yes, we'd like you. They she submitted some card ideas and they were paint. Now they weren't mouse prints. They were painted because okay. that's what they want. And she would come up with her own sayings and everything. Wow. And um, so they invited her to come to Kansas City. And she came and she's like, oh, I don't have any clothes. I mean, and she got a portfolio and she was putting framed paintings into the portfolio. (laughs) (laughs) So she showed up at this interview and they was like, yes, your work is great. And they, she literally had to learn from the beginning how it all worked. She was one of the first, that was when they first started freelance using Uh freelance. She was one of the first freelance illustrators. She started her career at 40 nine wow go mom worked into her 60s and my brother was about probably about five maybe six or five or six at the time my youngest brother and when I was 15 I got to go to uh, Hallmark it was the coolest thing it was my first plane ride and I got to have lunch with somebody from art director from Hallmark I thought it was the neatest thing yeah. And, I, you know, there's just all these little things in life. You can't really say this inspired or this drove. But my mom was a really good influence. My brothers and sisters were great influences. And I think the one thing that really inspired me in high school is my mom. She was she always said she, she goes, she called me her filly. Oh. She said I was like a wild horse. <laughs> and I wasn't wild, like I wasn't into me, but I was kind of, I had all this energy. Yeah. And so she knew I was really interested, interested in films. And she took me to one of the first film festivals in Chicago. And I saw um, Siskel and Ebert and I saw, um, name escapes me, the animator for Bugs Bunny. I oh, saw wow. him. Cool. And 
uh, the original Disney uh, that did um, Snow White. Oh, and they were in their 90s. That was so inspiring. And she took me to a portfolio review at Crown Center. And oh. I remember there was an ad, a man from an ad agency. And he looked at my things. And he, during his speech to everyone, he said, the thing that we look for in portfolios is detail. Not necessarily like detail, detail, but attention to of, detail. Attention to detail. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that those little nuggets kind of build up. And I still, to this day, remember those things. So, you know. What an amazing and wonderful, varied foundation that is for you. I love that. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. My mom was, she had the original Montessori book. She was really, she studied Montessori. So all intents and purposes, we were. Sounds like they both came from creative backgrounds as well. Yes. My yeah. uncle was a painter, both uncles, and his dad was a civil engineer. And Very cool. So architects. If you could go back in time and give yourself a piece of advice when it comes to the creative industry, what do you think that might be? Oh, that's... <laughs> <laughs> I think I may have said all of it already. No, I think there's a fine line between the wish and the want reality and, and what's attainable. Mm -hmm. And I think that if you can be patient, I think patience is key. Um, So while it may not be coming tomorrow, sometimes you, by putting things and looking at them from a different perspective, you know, there's always another avenue to your goal. There's Mm -hmm. multiple avenues to your goal. The brain is neuro, you have neuroplasticity. Your brain has many pathways. Be persistent. I think the good advice my dad gave me was be kind to the people on the way up mm-hmm. because the it's so much easier when you come back down. <laughs> <laughs> That's excellent advice, all of it. So again, I try to always be humble. I like listening to the clients, I think always listen to the client. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean they're always right, but you know, you have to listen. You have to listen for detail and what is out there. You have to look and listen constantly. I think if, if the client knows you're listening and you can show that, that's where the long-term relationships can start. Yes. I think relationship building is extremely important. Yeah. I would say most of my long-term clients, we had built good relationships. I had the work in on time. Um, I always gave multiple solutions to one thought. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I always gave them more than they ever asked for. I, I I know that that's hard to do Mm -hmm. sometimes, but it wasn't like an intentional thing. It was just the way I worked. Yeah. I, I, you know, I don't know. Part of your makeup. Part of my, that's awesome. A little bit of muchery. <laughs> Not, nothing wrong with it. Too muchery. That's all right. I can't have one hip replacement. I have two. <laughs> exactly. Come on. Go go halfway. <laughs> That's right. Tell me who's inspiring you right now. Uh well, let's see. Um Alexander Corey Gerard is somebody who I've been kind of watching. He's kind of a mid-century 
Um, and then uh, these are people in the past. And then I'm, I'm probably bastardizing their names. And then there was an illustrator who did a ton of New Yorker covers, Ayanka Caras, Caras? Mm, yeah. K-A-R-A-S-Z. I'll put all these in the show notes too. Yeah. Um, and then of course I just, you know, color. I just love color. Yeah. Love that. You do it so well. So there's like, I can't name people specifically, but if I go on Pinterest, I'll look at people who are doing a lot of, I look at a lot of fabric, like, um, embroidery Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. where it's yarn and embroidery. I think there's so many beautiful old kind of folk embroidery as well. I love that bulky, you know, especially like the red stitch. I just yes. love red stitch on white linen. Oh, it's, it's probably so my favorite. It's just divine. <laughs> it's it really just so is. simple. It's just very simple, but you can do so much with it. Yeah. Um, it just takes a lot of time to it's, do it. Yeah. I imagine I haven't, I certainly love it, but there's something about that one color that takes the it, it just, you are only thinking about that instead of, should I put yellow here or orange here? You just get to draw with that, that one color and stitch, which I think is cool. And I think going back as I did a lot of embroidery while I wasn't, that's, I did all those samples mm-hmm. that I did in when I was recovering. And I think actually that helped me uh, think differently and simplify things. And then I was able, actually, I started moving into um, limited palettes Interesting. I don't use a lot of limited palettes for my, my printed work, but definitely for my sketchbooks and more of the fine arts to things that I, you know, tend to paint. I think that's such a good exercise. I, I really like those challenges, those limited palette challenges. Because yeah. I think limited us. palettes because you learn light, dark, mm-hmm. negative, positive mm-hmm. space. Mm-hmm. I love so it. those are, those are all good exercises. Such a good conversation. Tell me and everyone where we can find you. You can find me on Linda Black Illustration on Instagram. And then my website is www.lindablack.com. I love it. There's so much there. I think it's so interesting to talk to someone like you, like me, who has been in the industry for such a long time. And it's interesting to hear the stories and how things have changed and then go look at your Instagram and it is as fresh as fresh can be. And I I think that just pays homage to the fact that you are the kind of creative who is always curious. I mean, I think we all are, but you're, it just, it shows it's so now and it's so interesting. And there's so many things there that make me want to think like, what, what project can, can happen with Linda? You know, it's, they're just wonderful. And I'm so glad that there's so much happening for you at Ebu. So a lot of people can be in touch with it and the books you've had and all of that. It's, it's a, it's, it's a beautiful thing. You're in the middle of. Well, there was a time when I said, I don't know if I could do this anymore, but you know, we all I get find it. that I mean, inner, you get the inner push and I don't, I can't explain it. I think you're creative through and through till the end, even when you're 94. (laughs) I agree. I mean, I think no matter what, I mean, even if I can't lift a finger, I'm the thoughts are still creative. It's just how we are. And I think, honestly, I think people need to give themselves more credit people in general. I think creativity comes in so many forms. It's just calling it out, harnessing it. You know, it's, it can be the way you 
you face an issue, you know, creative hip replacement, whatever that might be. But, uh, you know, well, I'm, I know we've kind of exceeded our time, but the, the, the thing is, is that creativity is not just painting. No, it's not. Creative creativity is problem solving. Mm-hmm. And my best physical therapists and the most progress I made were the ones who, who actually were really creative and said, Oh, can't do it this way, but let's try it this way. Mm-hmm. And I actually think my creativity allowed me to heal oh, because I learned everything about how the muscle system worked, antagonist muscles, protagonists, or whatever they call them. And I put that information in and I thought, okay, I'm going to come at it this way. And that was the creativity saved me. Mm. All my creativity energy went for two years to, to making sure I could walk again. Mm. Yeah. That's, that's an important. And I never, I never take walking for granted ever again. And maybe that's somebody, that's something for somebody who might be struggling with how to move through something, right? Let your, just take a minute and let your creative mind trust it, right? Problem solve it, but trust it that you can. Yeah. I think it kind of goes back to that patience. Be patient with yourself. Yeah. You know, Yeah. I think if I had to summon all patience, Mm. Oh, you know, maybe you sit down, sometimes you sit down and the, the pen doesn't connect to your brain and you get frustrated, put it down, go do yeah. something else. Yeah. Come mm. back, try it again. <laughs> That's right. I think we, we really do try and push it sometimes, right? You want an answer. You want the, you want the solution. You want to figure it out. You want to be from X to Z, A to Z already, but there's, there's a lot of steps in between. So you just Absolutely. have to, patience is good. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so glad that you were here today and we could just dive into your, to your rich creative mind. It's been really interesting. Now I'm going to have to think back to 10th and bleaker and think if I saw you, I know I was there (laughs) every day. (laughs) That's very cool. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks Margo. Before you go, I just want to say a quick thanks for tuning in. I hope you found something useful to take away and something to make you think. For those of you listening in on Spotify, and I know there are many, you now have the cool option to show your love for Windowsill Chats quickly and easily. From the show page in the Spotify app, you can simply tap to rate it one to five stars. And of course, I'll really appreciate it too if you leave a review wherever you might be listening. See you next week, lovelies, and I hope it's a creative one.